Good evening and welcome back to Editing Aloud. I have with me as always a panel of some of South Africa's most well-informed and thoughtful journalists in a week in which the news flow, it feels like, never stopped. Starting with the public protector. Genevieve, we've had three judgments against the public protector at the same time as she is still going for both the president and the public enterprises minister. Just run us very quickly through the three judgments. What do they mean? What are her chances of staying in office after judgments which have gone so horribly against her? So yes, Larry, we have the High Court judgment on the Reserve Bank um, Bank Corp bailout. We have the High Court judgment on the Fleda Dairy Farm, and then we have the Constitutional Court judgment, um, which confirmed the High Court judgment on the Bank Corp bailout. And in all three, there's comments about which questions her competency, her way of working. Um, the Concord judgment spoke about um, falsehoods, basically saying that she had lied. And all of those are very serious allegations, especially very serious allegations to be made, well, not allegations, findings, sorry, to be made by a court against her. And if you just looked at those three judgments, there is facts, proof that, that she should not be in that office. Take away from the politics and everything that's been happening around her, whether she is going for public enterprise minister, whether she's going for the president, that's not the point. There are three court judgments against her. Saying she is not doing her job she is not doing her and she may even be doing it duplicitously, if And you saying like. there's been things that she's been biased that goes against her ma the mandate of the Public Protector's Office, um, what's set out in the Constitution and in the Public Protector Act. So now you've got, we've already got Parliament looking, um, the DA had, has asked um, Parliament to look into removing her. Um, that process is still ongoing. The Justice Committee still needs to speak about it. But interestingly, um, following the Monday Concord judgment, we had um, Accountability Now, or NGO, writing to the Legal Practice Council, asking them to look into having her struck from the role of advocates. That's going to be discussed on Friday by the Legal um, is that, are those the old bar councils? And yes, they, they sort of, so the, they're sort of a statutory body, yes. So the, oh, this is a statutory, it's a statutory body, body. Re representing the profession yes, itself. Yes, absolutely. And if they decide that they are going to move to have a struck from role, that would be a whole other process. You'd have to go to court. But if she is eventually, and it will be a long process, struck from the role of advocates, she cannot be a public protector. Juanita, what, what are you, how do you rate her? I think her in the chances past, of staying in office. Yeah, in the past. Uh, reports of public protectors have been overturned numerous times and you know courts have found in favor of people who have been investigated but the issue has always been you know issues about interpretation of law or getting you know certain things in terms of the law, law wrong in this in all three judgments the court has made a finding about her character and her personality and and as and as the public protector what she has done that is just so outstanding if you read uh, justice uh, Kampepe's uh, judgment on monday where she says it's unintelligible how a public protector cannot disclose who she met in a report and then submit and then when she's backed into a corner then submit some notes to the court handwritten notes handwritten notes to the court things like so basically, just plain shoddy. Absolutely, and and so and so the the argument or the or the finding that was made by the majority of the of the Concord uh, uh, justices is that there was some deliberate um, sort of uh, 
you know, misleading or, or even like falsehoods that was in, in, not only in the report, but also in her submissions to the High Court. And so this is astounding to say the public protector writes a report. I mean, and you know what I also found so fascinating was uh, the Chief Justice had a different view about the cost order. That was interesting, actually. It was very the Chief Justice and one other acting judge yes. dissenting. So, yes. so, Which so was rather an odd argument, as I recall. So, so, they are, so their argument is that, uh, you know, the simple thing that you can't, cost order is not meant to finish someone or not meant to, you know, basically bankrupt them. And so in this particular case, I mean, the, the, the Chief Justice makes a very amazing argument where he says that report was so terrible <laughs> that there's no way a court would have not found a game, would have not overturned it. Was, it. She said so, I mean, on, so 900 million... Nine hundred million, is it? Nine hundred thousand. Sorry, she's not a billionaire. <laughs> so, yeah. so a million rands almost against her, um, and and there's no way of overturning that because this is the apex the court. court. Plus yeah. aspersions on her character. Yeah. She says if the courts carry on like this, essentially she won't be able to do her job. The office won't be able to do its job. I yeah. mean, should one be worried about the office of the public protector rather than the person herself? Yeah, I think yes. I think we should because um, if you've got a person holding that office and there's no credibility around her as her as a person, they, it cascades down to the office itself. People start losing confidence in the office itself. So we need. I mean, if the only way to uh, restore respect to that office is to get rid of her, we probably should move a little bit faster so that that office is is restored uh, and then we are able to continue with our democratic project. That is quite an irony after Tuli Madonsela, the previous public protector, spent yeah. so much time and effort yeah. building the institution's yeah. credibility. That, I mean, that if it you should think, be so. That's right. You're saying that it's being pretty undermined by this particular incumbent. Yeah, you. I mean, you can. There's a strong argument to be made against uh, about that. I mean, because, it, it, as you say, it was Tuli Madonsela who actually put that office back on where it should be because it's supposed to be fighting corruption, which is rampant in this country and that office, that office should be uh, up there, should be in the news uh, to showing that it is doing its job. Before her, few people have heard about it, few people have heard of, of what it has done. So now it looks like the office is back in the news for the wrong reasons. You've got a person who is being accused of being politically biased, of being being uh, a proxy for the Zuma faction, and also of being incompetent, which is which is really, really uh, not good for, for, for us. For credibility. For credibility, And, yeah. and Kaninta, just, just briefly, um, it's at the same time as there is this Bosasa case, which mm. the public protector is pursuing against the president. Is there the potential for the president to be meaningfully damaged by Yeah, this? so, so there's, there's two elements to it. The Bosasa report uh, came out on Friday, where she had found that the president violated, uh, first of all, deliberately, inadvertently, deliberately misled parliament when he answered questions on a donation made by Bosasa to his CR17 campaign. She also found that he violated the Executive Ethics Code and then as a result the Constitution um, and then recommended that Parliament take action uh, and that the, the also found that there was prima facie evidence of money laundering. So really damning serious accusations or uh, findings made against, against the president. The president, the president uh, uh, 
comes heads back saying they're obviously going to take the matter on review. But if you look at the submissions made by the president's lawyers to the public protector on her preliminary reports, you kind of can see what the argument is. And legally, most people, even the opposition, even the DA who uh, complained to the public protector saying this, this report is going to be overturned, particularly because there's some glaring mistakes. And I give you just... Mm. I'm going to move on to the next thing. <laughs> I mean, it's from one yeah. disaster to the next. I mean, Absolutely. this sounds to me like a lot of work for a lot of high-paid lawyers. But, look, Kanyo, um, ESCOM bailout, it was the other really big news of the week, is the, well, not the first bailout, but ESCOM bailout Mark II. Were you shocked at the size of it? Not at all. I mean, there was... I think, I think the story had not broken. not shockable anymore. The story, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the story had broken earlier in the week. I think, I think it was Reuters and Tissetsu's ex-colleagues who broke it initially that they were going to get this extra $69 billion. And but I think the bigger problem is that, is that we're likely to get more, as we know. Like, it's never, it, it, it never really ends. And the government always comes in with these conditionalities, which we know are not going to be met. You know, it feels like you know, we got to the point where the government, when it comes to ESCOM, has basically lost all credibility, really. I mean, we all know this is going to, it's not going to end here. And we know, and we know that, that the proper restructuring of ESCOM is going to be like a political fight for, for over many years. I mean, we know that they're not going to be cutting their employee numbers anytime soon. The president goes out and says, we're not going to do it. So can you just imagine any other company? Like, I mean, this is a sort of classic case of moral hazard, isn't it? I mean, any other company being able to do that, being able to just stay in business despite... With, with, with yeah. cash infusions <laughs> with, yeah, attached without, to no particular not conditions. Not generating any cash. There was, there was, to say to us, you nodding yeah. furiously here, there yeah. was actually a list of conditions in, yeah. in Minister Mboweni's uh, speech in Parliament. Yeah. But they weren't actual conditions. They were a list of... Was that a wish list? Was that a conditionality would, list? Yeah, I would think it's more of a wish list. I mean, we know how powerful the unions are. They brought ESCOM to its knees. Uh, that was uh, back in 2018 when ESCOM said that they, uh, it wasn't, you know, it was imposing a pay freeze, basically. But they ended up caving in. So uh, you, it's, it's just really, it's, as you say, it's more of a wish list. I don't think they can do any more than... Is there, is there a loss of faith? Because I think when, mm. when, when the bailout news was first, the first bailout yeah. news was announced at the beginning of the year, uh, there was conditions supposedly attached in yeah. terms of the restructuring of ESCOM. Right. Is, there, is there no longer faith that anybody's going to restructure anything? Would you say? I, I would say, I mean, I don't know, Lucanio, what do you... If you, I mean, if you think about it, on one level you're yeah. saying there are these conditions, and on another level you say it's too big to fail, we can't let it fail. So what's the incentive for ESCOM to actually like, abide by any of these conditions? Because they're going to get the money one way or the other. How strong, if you like, are the, what are the political factors which are preventing mm. a resolution of this ESCOM thing? Which, which, I mean, is, is the politics such that it's very unlikely that uh, government could actually get Eskom properly fixed. Yeah, so the president announced that he was going to make this announcement of a, re uh, a restructuring officer who was going to be in charge and it was going to be... Um, but obviously, politics determines who gets into these SOEs and as a result, what then happens... Um, and what they can and do how they, they Yeah, and, how, and how, they, how empowered they are politically to do what they need to do. I mean, ESCOM, at the heart of ESCOM is obviously 
the trade unions that are that play an important role there. Um, and then there's obviously the link of politics. You have the SACP, you have COSATU, then pressurizing Ramaphosa not to do things. Um, at a time when I think you cannot be having ideological debates about unbundling, it really is about the, the rands and cents right now. Um, and I think that this is a moment for the president and his finance minister to, for the first time, assert themselves and really put their feet down and say, this is it. Mm. ESCOM has to survive and this is the way that... Somebody has to pay. Yes. I presume we're going to be paying... Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break in a second, but I presume, Genevieve, very quickly, we're going to be paying through taxes or through electricity hikes. I mean, somebody's... How, how are people going to respond briefly where, when, when they realize they're going to be paying for this? Probably not very well, but not to well. add to what, to what Kanita said, Tito is going to stand firm, I think, and he doesn't care who he's going to irritate or upset. He'll stand firm against the unions, but whether the president is going to stand with them mm. is another story because, as Kanita said, the politics in terms of the alliance, Kasatu. The Eskom bailout is surely going to drive the national debt right up and put us back on watch for a downgrade by Moody's. Is that not quite a likely scenario now? I think it's definitely has become more likely. I mean, if you think even before this week's bad news, we had bad news on the economy already. I mean, the fact that the economy is going to grow at 0.6 according to the Reserve Bank's target. I mean, and we know our budget forecast numbers and our debt to GDP long term are based on growth rates of 1.5, 1.7. And we're not going to get anywhere near that. By definition, that means your tax revenue is going to be lower. So 0.6 so now is the Reserve Bank's new estimate, which for, is for, even for lower than last year's 0.8. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the IMF also like, reduced their target this week. Yeah. I mean, the government is still obviously sticking with this target from February. Well, obviously, that's going to be revised sharply down as well. So with those, even before that, I mean, Moody's was already saying our debt to GDP ratio is more likely going to be like 65%, say, in 2023, rather than the 60% the government was penciling in. And then they were saying if you have like extra money for ESCOM and all these other irritated parasitals, then you're looking at something like 70%. Now that is that's how it comes and to is pass. And is a downgrade then pretty automatic or are they still going to give us some more benefit of the doubt? Uh, to be honest, it depends who you talk to. Uh, but we, what we do know is that this this ratio, um, this debt to GDP ratio, is one that they are closely watching, and uh, it's not good. But you know, my feeling is um, this bailout um, should probably help us move the debate from you know monetary policy to fiscal policy because things are in shambles, and we should be talking about how. How do we get things right physically, physically, before we start talking about the, the monetary policy? Genevieve, is there the political appetite to get things right on the fiscal policy, on the budgetary side? Because now we're talking about lower growth, apparently not much will to really lift it out. Um, are we going to carry on seeing budgets blowing out now with, because nobody's prepared to make the decisions they need to make? I'm not quite sure about that. Um, it's a difficult one. I think this whole thing of, of I think someone said it earlier, ESCOM's too big to fail. Yeah. So we're just going to keep on throwing money at it. And, and Kanita can maybe say what she thinks. But I think, you know, the ANC, doesn't, the ANC run government obviously doesn't want to say that it broke ESCOM. Or that it broke, or that, or that it broke, or even got having us to partially privatise no. ESCOM mm -hmm. is not politically and ideologically is not going to look good for the governing party, and so 
I think they're thinking more of that and then so pumping all this money into it because we can't see to we can't it can't look like we we actually failed although it has and failed. Bonita, if that were to mean higher taxes mm. or less public spending mm. on other things mm. what how did that play out politically I think that obviously you know we've just come out of an uh, election cycle there was a lot of promises that were made and you know more taxes or higher you know it's just going to add to the sort of the slum that you know South Africans every South Africans are facing but the reality of it is that the real attempts to tighten the belt is all superficial it's all ridiculous it's all oh no don't hire a car hire a van for five of you that's not real cut cost mm -hmm. uh, cost cutting you uh, and 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 that's what i feel like this administration is focusing on the bells and the whistles and not on the real issues by now you should have had you should have had um an, a, a complete uh, a structure on how you're going to sort out the bloated public service mm -hmm. and that has not uh, you know and so and as a result you then you know there's these silos and everyone's talking about the problem but no one's talking about the solution and the president says this um you know government works in silos in his budget in his um presidency budget vote last week we, we, there's too many silos we have to work as a developmental state there's no money to to work as a developmental state you have to do and they keep saying we have to do more with less more with less but it's literally a superficial um uh, attempts to just politic really then and then when there's fight back in the case of of cut costing um or, or cost cutting sorry at um municipal level or local government level when there's fight back from saga the issue then just gets swept under the carpet so this is a repeat you see it in in, in state-owned enterprises of the escom you see as soon you know there's an attempt to be bold to appease us the chattering class and then when there's fight back from the people who benefit from this uh, lavish spending by the state then automatically the matter just then gets and then the new issue so whether it's local government whether it's state owned enterprises whether it's just ministers having bloated offices it's just there is no political will in this country to just say you know what this is it i'm reading the the riot act even if it's on a small matter of the ministerial handbook or whatever it may be so it's a, it's the it's much broader than the trade unions it's vested interest, interests in general and a lack of political will but is it a lack of will or is it just that the vested interests against change if you like are too strong for mm. the president to tackle no i think i think if if it was if it was just you know if it was just this mountain of of you can overcome it if you hear the pre the way the president skirts around issues especially like talking i mean he announced the unbundling he announced the unbundling of of escom in february we are in going into august now yet to appoint the person who's going to then initiate that process so so at at some point we have to realize that making excuses to say oh no the fight back is too strong Yes, the, there's a huge fight back against efforts to reduce corruption, which is inevitable. Which, which is, is inevitable. Always happen, mm. Absolutely. Yes. But the issues that you've promised, the issues that you've you came in as a you know, and I'm not only talking about the president, but I'm talking about the administration to say we're going to fix ESCOM, um, and 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 literally, if you see the plans, not only in ESCOM, if you look at at you know, last week we saw a whole lot of budget um, votes in in Parliament the last two weeks. 
and it's literally more of the same. Mm -hmm. There's no innovation to say we have this complex problem where our courts are overburdened. How are we going to find a way to solve that issue? So, it's look, can you just, I mean, if, if we, does that does that sort of imply does that imply that we're stuck in this kind of low sub one percent growth? I mean, um, well, I don't. In fact, I shouldn't ask the question because we'll just get. More gloomy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish I could be a bit more optimistic, but all of when Akonita just pointed that out there, I mean, the government has sort of been big on gimmicks and big on, you know, like on spin, but not much substance. You know, like it's one thing to say, okay, no more business class flights for, for mayors, and that, that makes great headlines, you know, and we like journalists love it, and people love, love reading that. But, it, but I haven't had anything from the finance minister that says, look, our trajectory on our debt GDP is going in the wrong way. This is what we need to do to get it to 50% or to know like when travel... We've not actually had that. Yeah. But she said, so now, now the interesting thing is that we may be gloomy, but PepsiCo, the global yes. multinational, is yeah. clearly not so gloomy because it's come in with an offer for Pioneer, which makes some of our most iconic brands like um, Wheat Bix and Liquid Fruits. So um, how, how do you explain that? And is this a vote of confidence in the country? I would say so. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a huge vote of confidence for Zero Ramaphosa Drive to attract investment. But at the same time, if you look closely, I mean, you can see that PepsiCo got this company, you know, for, you know, for a song, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, this, com this company was um, just two years ago. I mean, the stock was fetching 170 rand and they got it 410. It looks like a generous uh, uh, premium, the 50% premium. But, you know, if you're a shareholder and then you think, uh, two years ago, I could have gotten a little bit more, maybe 60 billion rand more than what uh, PepsiCo, PepsiCo is getting. That's, that's one dynamic that you look at. But at the same time, I mean, it will be, you know, it will be interesting to see what the Competition Commission says or the competition authorities say about it or how they handle it. Uh, because, I mean, if you remember about you know, 2010, 2011, the, uh, uh, the Walmart Musmat uh, case dragged on for quite a while, about two years, because the problem is with the, I'm not sure if I should call it a problem, but the, but if you are, you know, an, a, an executive, you probably are going to see it that way. The, the thing about the competition authorities is that they've got, um, they've got public interest uh, mandate within not just competition issues and that means they can impose conditions on you know no M&A deal should in involve uh, job cuts but for a company uh, particularly one from overseas I mean that's probably new to them and that you know if you if you are not able to cut costs by uh, you know, by making sure that you, you know, you get rid of duplicate employees in your in the company you, you you're, you're buying, you know, that can chip away at the commercial logic of the deal. I suppose it depends yeah. why they're buying. I mean, um, yep. but but you're saying in a way that that we ideally, almost ideally, we could get multinationals coming in yep. uh, after a period in which we've seen really no for very little. Direct yeah. investment. We've seen lots of people yeah. buying our bonds and shares uh, because because well, yeah. you yeah. should yeah. they should be looking at such cheap assets. So yeah. if that is the case, then look only why aren't more of them doing it? Uh, I mean, I suppose actually that maybe it's not as gloomy as we actually think. About. <laughs> as, 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 as you were talking, I was trying to remember like the, 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 I mean, the Reserve Bank numbers came out like not not long ago. Actually, within, with numbers for twenty eighteen that actually were quite positive, yeah. and I, I just can't think of the number off, off the top of my head. And we've 
okay, we will fight this one. And also, no, there was that other one that didn't happen. I don't know whether it's still going to happen. No, there was the last person one trying to get into with buy cars where the competition, mm -hmm. like, so the authorities also intervened there. Like, and there's a bit of a debate on this one, whether or not that sometimes like our competition authorities maybe can be a bit overzealous sometimes in the fact that they go against they might yeah. go against about the broader principle what we're trying to say because foreign investment is supposed to be good right? mm. and, yeah, and well maybe maybe politically it's more complicated than than just all foreign investment is good i suspect in fact connie to that there might be and i think some the, doubts sometimes yeah the presidency have been sort of regarded this uh, investment by pepsico and ford's uh, pledge to expand um, and, and, and expand jobs by 25% last week, that announcement as, as a, you know, a show of confidence by business. So even though there's these political little squabbles happening here and there, um, there is some momentum at least in the president's efforts to, to uh, garner foreign direct investment. The reality of it is that uh, you know, we, we, we've come from a place where foreign direct investment was almost fleeing from South Africa. Mm -hmm. And so you have to appreciate the steady kind of interest and the cautious attempts to sort of flirt with the South African market. Uh, but at um, least market. we don't have Boris Johnson. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Genevieve, well, well, well. Are you a, uh, aren't we glad to have Cyril Ramaphosa as opposed to Boris <laughs> Johnson? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, I agree. No, I mean, more, more to the point, I mean, this, 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 this could be catastrophic if it means a no-deal breakfast. Break, I was reading something earlier, and Lacanio can maybe come with Brexit. So, We've now got Boris Johnson. Well, the, I think the um, Theresa May today has to give her resignation to the Queen. But who does he appoint and who wants to stay in his cabinet and who's going to move with him forward on this Brexit deal? Because it doesn't seem like anyone really wants to take up um, this challenge with him. I wouldn't want to if I was in their government. I'd be like, OK. Um. Lisa puts our own, our own troubles in perspective. And that's, that's all we have time for, unfortunately. And uh, I'm sure this one will absolutely run and run. And we'll be back next week with more on matters of the world and affairs of the day.